Welcome back to the Sporting Max Podcast. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link. The Missing Link will help you or your business connect with the biggest stars in the world through events and experiences. Find them at tmlthemissinglink.com.au. Here is your host, Max Becker. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max, where today we're with uh, Southeast Melbourne Magic uh, legend, Andrew Parkinson. Welcome to the podcast, Andrew. How are you going? I'm going pretty well. Thanks, Max. And legend might be a bit of a stretch, but I'm going to take it. <laughs> I'll take the uh, the legend call. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me about your childhood and what growing up was like for you? Sure, sure. Um, I grew up in Noble Park and... Uh, yeah, in the 70s. I was born in 67. So, um, and back in those days, basketball, I was introduced to basketball by my parents. So they, they both played at a state level and, and my dad actually made an Olympic squad in uh, 64. Um, but uh, yeah, so I was introduced to basketball through them. And in the 70s, basketball wasn't really cool. It was, people used to think, oh, it's just netball. It's a sissies game. Uh, whereas now I think it's considered to be pretty cool. I think after yeah. the Jordan era in the nineties and now with Steph Curry and LeBron James and Durant and all that, I think, uh, basketball's sort of become, uh, it's not considered, I guess, a, a sissy sport anymore. And it's, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was, uh, so I grew up, yeah, sort of in a big, you know, in Victoria, as, as, as you would know, it's a big footy a footy city and and cricket so footy and cricket you know footy in the winter cricket in the summer but the beauty of basketball was it was all year round and um uh yeah and it was indoors which i loved because melbourne weather's not always the greatest at times so <laughs> i i took a liking to basketball i loved all sports i played footy and cricket and i played tennis um and i of course played basketball but yeah basketball was the sport i was i probably loved the most and it was it was the sport that i was probably better at because I think I'm a frustrated AFL player because I, I really <laughs> love I, I really love AFL and I would have loved to have been good at AFL but um but my calling was basketball so what at what age did you um start taking an interest or were passionate about basketball oh uh, well my dad coached and, and sort of played so I was always interested in basketball and I used to just want to be like him um so yeah, I kind of, from the age of seven, I started playing at the uh, Dandenong Stadium, which uh, is not the fancy stud road facility they have. It was in the markets. They had two stadiums. Mm -hmm. And one of the courts, this is how old I am, Max, one of the courts was concrete. When I first, I think I played my wow. first game of basketball on concrete in the courts <laughs> at Cleveland Street in Dandenong in the markets there. Um, yeah, so that was... Um, I still remember vividly my first game of basketball. I didn't want to take off my tracksuit pants because it was really cold. <laughs> and the I guess the cement floors didn't help out in that area either. Um, so, yeah, so I started playing at seven. And, um, yeah, as I said, I played other sports, but basketball was the one sort of constant that I loved. Now, you played junior basketball after the Melbourne Tigers in under-14s. What was this like for you at um, a young age? It was great. Um, I was coached by Ken Watson, the great, the late great Ken Watson, uh, rest in peace. Um, yeah, and he, yeah, he was a great coach, um, yeah, for that age group, I think, well, for me anyway. And, and we actually went to an Australian Championships in Canberra, uh, which was my first ever sort of major basketball tournament. And the, all yeah. the family drove up to Canberra and we played and it was a big deal. And, um, and that's why in 2015, with my daughter playing at Bulleen, 
uh, in under 14, she made, um, they made the Australian Championships, but they actually won it all. And that was in yeah, 2015 when she was under 14s. Uh, so that was interesting, a different sort of side of it from the parents, because I, from the parents side, whereas when I experienced it as a kid, it was, it was such a great, a great highlight. So no, it was a good experience. I was only at the Tigers for a couple of years. And then I sort of went on to Knox and played sort of under 18s there. Um, and then senior, I started playing there in their uh, SEBL team, which is, I guess, like NBL1 now. They call yeah. it big NBL1. What's well, been called CBA and SEBL and SEABL, and it's had a lot of different names. But uh, I rep yeah, I represented the mighty Knox Raiders in the um, uh, in the SEABL, I think it was at the time. Now, I believe you played for the Geelong Supercats after two years in the late 80s. What was this experience like and how did this uh, you signing with the super with the supercats yeah really happen well it happened max because i was actually in college in america i got a scholarship to a division two school called slippery rock university and that was um uh, in pennsylvania uh another <laughs> an even colder place than melbourne it was on <laughs> it was in the snow belt so walking to class yeah through snow to get the classes and trainings and stuff was an experience but uh yeah, so I was over there in uh, 1988 and 1989, or the start of 89, and I got a call from Barry Barnes, uh, who was coaching the Geelong Supercats. He'd just got the job. Mm. Uh, the Geelong Supercats in 1988 had an 0-24 record. I think they might be the only NBL team uh, that's ever gone through a season without getting a victory. Uh, and then the following year, he was looking to recruit some players, and Shane Hill was our point guard, a young Shane Hill. I think he was only 17 at that time um yeah so he uh yeah he called me when i was in in college and uh yeah and to have the opportunity to come and play in the nbl um especially in victoria which was my home state it was in geelong which meant you know i lived in geelong but i was only an hour down the road from my parents and family and friends yeah um so that yeah so that's how that eventuated so i, I got to play at geelong yeah, Supercats for two years in 1989 and 90 um, under Barry Barnes and, and with Shane Heal. And, uh, yeah, that was that sort of kicked off my, um, uh, yeah, kicked off my NBL career, my professional career. So what was that like to play with the great Shane Heal? Oh, it was great. Yeah, we uh, we became great mates and we, we hung around. We were a similar age. I was a few years older than him, but uh, he was a very early developer. Um and by that stage, yeah, he was fairly established. He was the starting point guard, and uh, he was he was actually doing some amazing things in the NBL as a teenager. Whereas myself, I was a bit more of a a late bloomer. Um, I I played my first NBL game when I was yeah twenty one. Um, yeah, yeah, I was twenty one. Whereas Shane, I think, played at the Bullets in eighty seven when he was sixteen, something yeah. like that. So yeah, he yeah he was uh, he was ahead of his time. You played for the Southern Melbourne Saints um, in 1991. Talk to me about the season and your mindset um, over the course of the year and, you know, when you have, um, you know, the big ups and then also downs as a group. Yeah. No, well, that was the case, uh, yeah, with the Saints. I was lucky enough. I actually got let go. I think that's a nice way of saying I was I was sacked. Um, <laughs> so I was, I was uh, let go uh, by the Supercats and uh, luckily I was picked up by... Uh, the Saints and Gary Fox was coaching. He was sort of starting a new team, and I, I hooked in with uh, Simon Curl, another great Australian point guard. Uh, well, Simon in particular is probably very underrated. Um, 
yeah, very underrated, I guess, in, in basketball. He's not as well known as Shane Hill, but he um so I hooked up with Simon in that in that year and and that was a great year for me. That was sort of my coming out year. Um and I think mentally it was great because I'd give I'd been given a second chance. I'd been sacked or let go uh from the Supercats and then um I didn't have a team. So luckily I, I got on the Saints team and that, that was a year that was really um my coming out party. That's I, I I managed by the end of the year. I was uh, I'd made the All Star team, uh, which ironically was coached by Barry Barnes, who just sacked me nine months <laughs> earlier. And I made the Australian squad for the '92 Olympics, which was also ironic because Barry Barnes was assistant coach <laughs> of the, the Australian team, and uh, he'd let me go. Uh, he'd sacked me nine months earlier. Um, yeah, so that year I, I averaged uh, twenty-two points a game or something, and made the All Star team and. Uh, yeah, it was it was when I really sort of uh, became a professional and got really, you know, into um, all the sort of dietary and the extra trainings and all that stuff. And I, I guess I truly, uh, yeah, became a professional, you know, in that year. And uh, and I also had the pleasure of scoring fifty points on the team that had sacked me nine months earlier. So that was the the last game of the ninety one season. Yeah. Um, yeah, we hadn't made the playoffs. We had a bit of a tough year, the Saints. I think we, uh, I'm not sure how many games we won, but I don't think we, we managed to eke out 10 wins, but I think we got somewhere close to there. But um, yes, but I got to play my old team on the last game and uh, and had 50 points, which is my all-time highest point score in NBL. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it was great to do that against the, the team that had just sacked you nine months earlier. What was that game like for you when you come out and drop 50 points on a team that's uh, let go of you or sacked you? <laughs> well, I was a lot, um, I was a lot younger, Max, and I was probably, yeah, probably had, uh, you know, my attitude could have been worked on a little bit. So I was, I was telling the coach and a few of the players uh, from the opposition team that um, maybe they'd made a mistake by letting me go. Uh, I might not have said it in that nicer language. <laughs> uh, but I was I was letting people know that I was having a good night and um, yeah and that uh, and that they maybe shouldn't have sacked me so yeah I had a bit of fun with that but I've I've made up with Barry Barnes and we're all fine now and and uh, he 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 says that he was more than happy to see me you know do well even though he mm-hmm. sort of let me go um, so yeah no that was um, no that was a, a fun game I mean we lost the game which is I mean the reason you play is to win. Yeah. We lost the game and the Geelong Supercats were, I think they were going to play in the finals that year. So they had to play in finals. So, you know, I, um, I would have much uh, rather been on a successful team than uh, been on a um, not so good team and, you know, be the main man. But that's a good segue into the next year because I got to play in um, a pretty good team the following season. <laughs> yeah. Well, now famous or well, uh, to me anyway, the Wadsy Dance was recorded um, in this season of 91 when you were with the Saints. What was it like on set um, and filming with all the guys? Well, we thought Darren Lucas was a pose, a poser. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, that's, one, that's one vivid memory, which now Lucas, uh, you know, I obviously wasn't a teammate of his at the time. Um, I think it was just that we were all jealous that he could dance because mm. in the video, Max, uh, yeah, there's not... there's. Yeah, the moves aren't real good, but uh, <laughs> Darren Darren Lucas can dance. That's def- he can definitely dance. Um, he might not be able to shoot, but he can play defense <laughs> and he can dance. And uh, no, I remember it was it was actually a bit of a highlight for me because Andrew Gaze was in that video, 
Mm -hmm. um, my ex-teammate Shane Hill was in it, and John Dorge, who be, who was my ex-teammate, who then became uh, sorry, who became my teammate with the Magic. Uh, I think Ray Borner was in the video. Ben Simmons's dad, Dave Simmons, was in it. Yeah. And uh, and a guy that's probably you'd look up to, uh, or anyone in your position would look up to, is um, Bruce McAvaney. Yeah. He was in the video, and that was a highlight for me because, yeah, he's um, he's pretty special. Uh, even though that's that's his that's his tagline, um, but yeah, so that was uh, yeah, it was a great experience. And um, uh, as you probably see, yeah, as you can tell, my dancing hasn't improved since <laughs> in thirty in thirty years time. But I, I've still got the uniform that I actually wore in that in that video. So yeah, and I still fit in it, which is probably even more important at my age. Mm -hmm. So. Um, what did it mean to you when you won um, the 1991 NBL's Most Improved Player? Yeah, no, that was great. Yeah, as I said, I was um, I was sacked, I think, about nine or ten months before I got that award. So mm -hmm. for me to, to get another job in the NBL, uh, get another opportunity was great, but I really grabbed that opportunity with two hands. And, um, and I think winning the Most Improved Player um, sort of capped that off. Um, and I was actually sitting on the table at the NBL dinner with uh, Bruce McAvaney and Kim Sporton, who was from Channel 7 Sport. And, um, yeah, I, I, I remember that night and I was honoured to receive that award. And I think um, when I look at some of the players on the lists um, that have won that award, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly humbled to be on that, um, yeah, to be on that list. And, uh, yeah, that was just a, a great sort of special year for me, which then catapulted my career, you know, uh, further. In 92, you began your six-year journey um, with the South East Melbourne Magic. What was that like for you coming to coming into the club and making a name for yourself around the team and in the club culture? Yes. Well, culture, you've just hit the hit the word that uh, Brian Gorgian uh, uh, is what he's all about. And, um, yeah, and he had a very... Yeah, he, he was pretty clear on what the culture was like at the Magic. And uh, and for me, um, the two teams merged. It was the Nutterwan Inspectors and the Saints. Uh, but the only player that they really picked up from the Saints was me. So I kind of came into a team. Uh, it was more like a takeover. It was yeah. more like the Spectres were sort of taking over the Saints and they just sort of took me. Um, oh, there's another guy you may have heard of, Andre Lamanis. Yeah. Uh, he was actually picked up as well from the Saints, um, but besides that, it was just it was just the Spectres guys. It had the Spectres coach. It had the Spectres coaching staff, which included Kevin Gorgian and Ian Stacker, uh, which was a great great yeah. coaching staff. Um, yeah, so we I sort of went from being in a team that was uh, you know missed out on the playoffs, didn't even win ten games, straight into a team that was. Um, basically championship favourites. We were championship favourites from day one before before the, the season started. Everyone felt like uh, that was the team uh, because the Spectres had, uh, had come runners up the year before to Perth in the grand final series uh, and they'd recruited John Dorge and David Close and uh, recruited a couple of other, um, yeah, a couple of others as well. So, yeah, so the, the team was expected to win. So I came into a team with a, with a strong culture and I had to make a, a couple of adjustments um, and I had to come off the bench. I, I got you, I was starting obviously the year before, but with this team, I had to, um, uh, my role was a bit different. So I had to come off the bench. So that took a little bit of a while to adjust to it. 
but I'll tell you something, Max, when you start winning championships, uh, <laughs> you're quite happy to uh, forego your own personal sort of, um, uh, you know, your ego, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, because I think I'd, I'd had the experience of playing in, in poor teams and, and being, and being a, um, you know, the main man, I guess. Um, and then I experienced, you know, having a lesser role, but a very important role, but a, a lesser role in a championship team. And I, I, I immediately found out and worked out quite quickly that that was, that was where I needed to be. And that's what I wanted to be, uh, to be in this special group and, and the special things that uh, Brian Gorgian was doing. Um, because that was when Brian Gorgian wasn't known to be the goat. He wasn't being called the goat back in yep. 1992. <laughs> uh, he's definitely been called the goat now and rightly so. Um, but, uh, he, you know, he hadn't won a championship yet. That was his first championship in 1992, uh, which I constantly remind him of. <laughs> let him know that uh, he got his first one after he uh, recruited me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he went on and won. Uh, we went on and won another one in 96, and then he won three with the Kings, and then he won one with the Dragons before he left for China. So he's a six-time championship coach, and um, a lot of people think the Hawks could maybe do it this year, but we'll, we'll wait and see. But uh, So, yeah, it was an adjustment, Max. It really was um, a big adjustment to go into uh, another level of professionalism and just the day-to-day -day work and the process um, was just honed into us. And, um, yeah, just every aspect of it um, I just embraced and um, I had opportunities to leave the Magic at times, but there, there was no way I was going to leave uh, that special thing we had going. We had some really special players, some great young players coming through. We had Tony Ronaldson, who was young at the time, but then some uh, Sam McKinnon came in and Frank Drimmick and Chris Anstey, Jason Smith, all those guys came in. So uh, for me, it was just great to sort of, you know, be a part of all, all, all of that. You know, before Brian Gorgian was famous, before yeah. Chris Anstey played in the NBA and before Jason Smith captained the Boomers in Olympics and before Sam McKinnon became slamming Sam McKinnon and, and one of the greatest, <laughs> you know, athletes that we've ever we've ever produced, um, you know, playing in Olympics and world championships and things like that. So, you know, to, to be part of their uh, progression um, as well as my personal progression and, and you know, the team's success, um yeah, I, I really valued at the time and I still value to this day. Your first season with the Magic, you guys uh, won the NBL Championship. What did this first pro championship sort of mean to you? Well, it was everything because coming from losing teams and uh, not even playing, I hadn't played in a playoff game until I joined the Magic. And not only did we make the playoffs, but we went all the way and won it. And um, and we and not only that we beat a very special team, the Melbourne Tigers, in in three games, and and that was after being down, down one zip, um, so we had to come back from a one zip hole and beat the team that had Andrew Gaze in his prime, with Leonard <laughs> Copeland in his prime, with yeah. Mark Bradkey in his prime, Warwick Giddy in his prime, uh, that team was just super talented, and um, yeah, to be able to beat them in a three game grand final series was was definitely the highlight of um, my sporting career you know I, I you know I think it was um, uh, yeah it was only just over a year earlier I was without an NBL team and here I was within the space of two years um, yeah I, I got uh, getting my NBL championship ring presented to me by the late David Stern he he actually was at that he was at the game yeah um, probably the greatest 
sporting administrator, you know, in the world, or definitely in basketball. Um, and he came over um, at Melbourne Park in front of 16,000 people. And, yeah, to get uh, the championship trophy and to get your, your championship ring uh, from David Stern in front of all your family and friends and being from Melbourne as well, having a lot of mates there. It was live on TV at the time on network television on Channel 10. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, that was uh, that was that was the pinnacle. That was uh, yeah, that was a, a a great memory. It's um, it feels like it was yesterday, Max. In '96, you won your second title with the Magic. Tell me about these four years in between the two championships and what those um, years involved for you. Yeah, well, uh, as I mentioned before, I mentioned some some great names uh, they were all young guys you know the the, the Drimmicks and the Smiths and McKinnons and Anstey's and uh, even Ronaldson to some uh, some degree was was younger was younger than me um, and I guess during that time Brian's focus was to really develop some Australian you know talent mm-hmm. so we went through I wouldn't say lean years I mean during uh, between those two championships 92 and 96 uh, the league was very competitive yeah um, and we still managed to um, to make the semi-finals all those years, so uh, we did. We might not have made the grand final in those years, but we actually um, uh, we were. I think we were. I think we lost. I think we we're only one game. I think in '93 and '94 and '95, I think we were only one game off winning to make another grand final. So, so even though you know we didn't win the championship those years, um, and I think because I think the Tigers won in '93, and I think the Giants won in '94, and I think. The, Wildcats won in '95, and then we we got back into it and won it in '96. But um, yeah, so uh, yeah, so we were still a very successful team. We just didn't um, get the ultimate prize. So and, you know, and I remember Brian Gorgian telling us, you know, hey fellas, you know, you're going to be pretty sore and sorry uh, individuals if if you're going to be you know depressed and 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 affected too much by you know not winning the championship every year. Yeah. But in saying that. Our goal was to win the championship every year. It didn't matter how many young guys we had in the team. I think I think a couple of those years we even played with one American at the time. So uh, the focus of Brian was to really develop these young kids. And 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 out of those names I mentioned, you know, all five of those guys uh, that I mentioned, uh, you know, Ronaldson, McKinnon, Anstey, Drimmick, Smith, mm-hmm. they all went on to huge huge things internationally. Uh, you know, at Olympics and uh, Chris with the NBA and things. So I think. Um, that was great, but it was great to be actually rewarded with a, um, a championship uh, at the end of the 96 season as well. So that that was kind of in some ways um, just as special as the one we won in 92 um, because we kind of knew how, how hard it was and how hard the league was to win the yeah. title every year. Um, yeah, so for us to go back and, and win it in 96, uh, yeah, where we, we met up with the Tigers again in 96 and... and and we did the same thing again. We lost game one and then we came back and won game two and three. Now, did you find any difference um, in the feelings you experienced between your first and then your second championships? Yep. Yep. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Well, after the, yeah, the first one in 92, because it was the first one, I guess. Uh, and, and as I said earlier, that that was the first experience I had being in a winning team. Yeah. Um, so it kind of, um, I wouldn't say it, it felt like it was easy, but I guess I didn't, um, uh, yeah, I guess by the time 96 came around and we had three years where we'd made semifinals and missed out on the, on the making the big, the big, uh, 
the big dance at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, '96. It was yeah, it was more of a sense, I guess, of of relief and and also joy because at that stage you kind of do realise that um, yeah, they're they're really hard to get. And some players play their whole career and, and don't win one championship. So to get the second one um, in '96, when I was 28, 29, sort of, yeah, it was was really special. And um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I took the '92 one for granted, but I, I definitely didn't take the the '96 championship for granted. That's for sure. Now you hosted your own uh, show on SEN named World Sport Overnight uh, in early 2004. Tell me about this. Yeah, well, that was great. I did it uh, with Daniel Kowalski, one of our great um, Olympic swimmers, Olympians. And, uh, yeah, I had really fun doing that, just talking about all sports. Um, obviously, basketball was my um, uh, it was my specialty, but I also uh, could talk a bit of footy and a bit of cricket and, and the tennis, uh, you know, with the Grand Slam being on in January. I think that's when we started. So, no, it was um, that was a great experience. It was when SEN first started. It was when they... They first started so um and the way it started and i remember the way it started it was very somber because uh david it was it was a year david hooks passed away it was tragically uh killed um yeah that was the big news and i remember going on air i think the day that that happened and a lot of the producers and a lot of the people that we're speaking to were really yeah really affected by by his passing and i, I just remember that yeah how sort of how tough it was to sort of go on and there was a lot of people that were really struggling but um but yeah but besides that it was a it was a great experience um uh, the hours were 12 midnight till six in the morning so having a young family yeah. it wasn't conducive to that but um but no I really enjoyed my work in the media during the South Dragons short reign uh, in the NBL you helped out there in the media can you explain to me a bit about your role um in their media team Sure. Yeah. No, I did game day nights, so I had the mic during game day. So I'd uh, yeah try and rev up the crowd a little bit, and um, uh, also run the you know the, the timeouts, mm-hmm. competitions, and the quarter time stuff. And um, it was really great to sort of be around my old coach uh, Brian Gorgian, um, and uh, you know so I still knew some of the players at that time, and it was. Um, yeah, that was, that was a great experience. And, of course, they went on and, uh, and won the championship that year. So, uh, And then, then they folded at the end of the year and Brian went to China. But still, we, um, uh, yeah, that, that year, 2009, uh, was a great year. That was, there was a young fellow by the name of Joe Ingalls playing in that yeah. team. <laughs> and uh, I really, yeah, I really took a liking to him. I, li- I liked his game. And Mark Worthington was in that team, who I'm, I'm really close with now. Um, I think Gibbo was in that team as well. Yeah. Uh, Reese Carter. Um, yeah, it was a great. Um, yeah, it was a really good team and well coached. They had Brian Gorgian there, and yeah, just to be involved in it. Um, yeah, it was really, uh, really special. What was that like to sit, um, sort of at the home games and watch your young Joe Ingles um go out and make oh, his was- artwork? It was great. No, it was, yeah, no, it was, it was great. You could see the potential in the kid. Um, and he was a real kid then. I mean, geez, that was, was, 18, was 18. 12 years ago. So yeah, yeah. how old's Joe now? He's about 30. So you're right. Yeah. Yeah. He would have been eight. would have been a teenager and um, he was playing. And I, and I think he does credit Brian Gorgian with a lot of, um, you know, his development. He's a very proud Aussie. Um, he's, um, 
Uh, I think he's just been named in the squad, rightly so, for the next yeah. uh, for the next Olympics. So he'll be reunited with his old coach Brian. So I think Brian's going to get the best out of him. Um, but uh, no, to watch him back then, he, he wasn't as polished as he is now. But um, yeah, you could definitely see uh, see the potential in the kid. Well, the kid at the time. Yeah. Now he's a now he's a grown man, um, and uh, I think he just became the leading. Three point um, in Utah Jazz history. There you go. He overtook John yep. Stockton. So um, he's just done amazing things, Joe. So we hope he can help us get a gold medal at the next Olympics. Now I've heard that he scored 107 points in a Masters game um, and made 31 three point shots. Can you tell me about this? Yes. Well, yeah. Well, my mates uh, are sick of hearing this story, <laughs> um, but. Uh, no, that was in uh, a Masters Games nearly nearly two years ago. Now it was in 2019. It was uh, yeah early 2019, and we were on a Masters trip. And uh, I'll try and give you the short version, Max. Um, <laughs> I, I have a I have a two hour version, and then I have a two minute version or <laughs> between. But uh, but no, I, I I came off the bench. I subbed in uh, subbed in for Darren Lucas because he wasn't getting it done. So I subbed yeah. <laughs> in and. Uh, I, I, you know, hit hit about four or five threes, and I, you know, and the by the end of the quarter, the guys the guys were saying, "Oh, gee, Puck, he's looks like he's on fire." Like, and, he, <laughs> and and they said, "Oh, let's you know, let's go to him a bit." So I started the second quarter. I think I had twenty two points at quarter time. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think I had about five five or six threes, a couple of twos here and there, and um, and then the second quarter, the boys started looking for me a little bit more. And as it turned out, I had 45 points by halftime. That's when Chris Anstey, Mark Worthington, we had Matt Burston, we had Cam Rigby, Shane Bright uh, and, and Musty in the team. And that's when they all decided. I think it was mainly Chris, Chris and Wertho were the sort of main instigators. But then they made a rule that for the second half, no one else was, a bit, was allowed to shoot the ball except for me. Mm-hmm. So at uh, three-quarter time, I had 77. <laughs> and I started feeling a bit guilty, Max. I'd love to shoot. Mm-hmm. And I, I've never seen a shot I don't like. But um, I started feeling a little bit guilty. So I said to the boys, you know, hey, look, you know, let, let some other guys shoot now. You know, I've got 70, 77. I've got yeah. some record. You know, it's, pro- it's probably a master's record, you know. So I said, look, I've, I've got the record, 77 points. That's enough. And they said, oh, no, try and get... Kobe, try and get uh, – so I think Kobe had 81, didn't he? Yep. So I said – so I said, yeah, so I started the fourth quarter and hit a few more threes and stuff and got to 80, and I said, okay, that's it. And I said, no, no, keep going, get to 100. So so then we were trying to tra- chase down Wilt. And um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I just kept launching, and then um, by the end of the game, um, yeah, we knew that I'd got to about 100, and they said just keep going, keep going. So – they tallied it up at the end and I had 107 and they worked out I had 31 <laughs> threes. So yep. I was, um, yeah, it was a special, uh, it was a special moment personally, but it was special because all the guys were, were in on it and uh, they were they were getting a lot of joy from uh, seeing, seeing me shoot all these threes and get a high score. So, um, yeah, there's no way I would have. Uh, I mean, I was doing things that were happening. I was shooting a three and it had missed, and Chris Anstey would catch it, you know, mid air under yep. the basket. And instead of just dunking it, he'd throw it back out to me at the three point line, <laughs> and I'd have another go at it. So, 
So it was a little bit manufactured. Uh, I think the whole team scored 128 mm-hmm. and I had 107 of them. So, <laughs> yeah, I had uh, I had a bit of a free reign that game. You played in the inaugural Wadsy game. Wadsy game. Can you tell me about the game and Wadsy and what this whole experience was like for you? Sure. Yeah. No, we um, uh, this charity Wadsy does great things for cancer patients. And yeah. um, at the time, uh, my whole family, we hadn't been... Um, affected by this terrible disease yeah. uh, but I felt like it was just a great cause because what Wadsy do is that they uh, they raise money for uh, the actual patient um, and also you know give them knowledge and advice uh, on who to go to and to get your body in an optimal level and help you fight the cancer and they have uh, they sort of have a holistic approach to it so I thought how great is this to be involved in it so I got a couple of my mates involved I got you know, Chris Anstey and Mark Worthington involved. And it was a, it was a great day. They had it out at the State Basketball Centre. They had a lot of ex-AFL players and they had Rattler on the mic. And, um, yeah, it was just a great a great game. And uh, I think we raised about 25000 30000 for wow. some uh, cancer patients uh, to help them with their treatments and to, to lessen the load from the financial strain and all that stuff. Um, it was great. But the irony... Uh, the cruel irony of it is that uh, uh, within eight months, I was uh, diagnosed with uh, small cell carcinoma cancer in my bladder, which is a very rare, mm-hmm. a rare cancer. Um, and I had to deal with that. And, um, and this charity uh, reached out to me. Um, uh, Jody Hooper, who runs Onesie, uh, reached out to me and said, hey, um, we want to we do the next Onesie game in your honour. And she said, would you be okay with that? And uh, uh, initially I was a little bit sort of accepting help and, and things. And, and then yeah. I, um, yeah, they convinced, uh, Jody convinced me to, uh, for, to allow that to happen. So, um, yeah, so they, uh, it hasn't happened yet, but it will. But what, yeah. what they've done in the meantime is it's been a lot of other fundraising things that they've done. And we've actually got a golf day coming up uh, mm-hmm. on the 26th of Feb. Um, I'll have to send you a link for that so that you can, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, you can do what you want with that. But yeah, so yep. there's lots of, um, yeah, so that that was a great uh, great experience playing in the game um, uh, and raising that money. And then, of course, um, yeah, that charity sort of uh, is now supporting me mm-hmm. and my family. So what's that like to go through sort of chemo and things like that um, with your cancer? Yeah, no, it's pretty tough. I won't lie, Max. It's mm-hmm. it's pretty tough, and um, you know, there's so many families and so many people that uh, you know have have had an experience with cancer, or, or someone yeah. in the family, or their friends, and and um, yeah, so yeah, it is tough. And I um, um, yeah, it, it, I've sort of been through all four things that they do with cancer. They uh, with cancer, there's surgery, there's chemotherapy, there's radiotherapy, and there's also immunotherapy. And and I've actually Within the space of just over a year, I've 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 done all four of those things. Wow! Um, and I can say I can say to you, Max. Um, currently, I'm cancer free. So I got yeah. word earlier this week that my tests, uh, for the time being, are good. Um, so I've got more tests in ten weeks mm-hmm. um, because it's this rare, terrible. It's no cancer's good, but this this the one I've got's not real good. Um, yeah, because of um, because of this. The cancer that I have, they they have to continually check me, sort of every you know two or th- two or three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's a little bit. It's a, it's been a challenge, 
Um, but I've I've really been uplifted and and uh, by the basketball community. It's amazing um, how supportive everyone in the basketball community has been. I've been um, I've had a blessed life. Um, yeah. Being able to play basketball and have so many mates from basketball and and still got mates and still making new mates from basketball um, by playing in masters tournaments and still playing in competitions around Melbourne. So, yeah. you know, and I was still playing, even during chemo, um, I was still playing when I had my, I had, had a bald head. I lost my hair with the chemo, <laughs> which was a bit of fun and lost my eyebrows as well. So I'm glad to have them back. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so it was, a, it was a challenge. But, you, you know, even with things like that, you've got to find the good um, or you've got to focus on the good. And, and the good that's come out of me getting cancer is that I've, I've sort of reconnected with a lot of old friends. I've had a lot of people support me, uh, say nice things about me um, and to help raise money for me and to help me and my family and help me deal with it. And I've just been getting lots of positive vibes, lots of positive thoughts and prayers. Um, yeah, so I... You know, I, I wouldn't say it's been a great experience, but a, a certain part of the experience ha has been great, uh, just with the support. Uh, even people that are, you know, uh, ex, uh, just fans of the Magic uh, that might have been teenagers during the 90s, um, a lot of those guys and girls have now grown up and they're now in their mid to late 30s. And yeah. um, a lot a, a lot have reached out and, and donated things to me or for me or helped me with things and, yeah, it's just really, um, um, yeah, it was, I've, I've just been um, overwhelmed. I guess that's the, that's the word I'm trying to find. I've been overwhelmed with the, uh, the support of, of people uh, once, you know, once they found out that I was uh, struggling. Now you mentioned just before uh, the Andrew Parkinson Golf Day coming up on the 26th of Feb. Tell me about the day and who's going to be there and what this day means to you. Oh, well, it's, it's a, uh, great for me uh, i mean it, it was the brainchild of nigel purchase mm -hmm. who's an old uh, tigers yep. man um and he got his tigers buddies involved which included andrew gaze and mark bradkey and copeland and ray gordon um which is ironic we might have to get back to ray gordon a bit later on because we were <laughs> we we uh we were mortal enemies um and uh and and then the magic guys we've got um you know darren lucas chris anstey frank drimmick uh jason smith uh, myself uh, we're all involved in the luncheon afterwards, so we're going to have a little bit of a panel um, with the magic and the um, the magic and the tigers. And of course, the golf part of the day is early is in the morning, yeah. and uh, yeah, they're having a bit of fun. They've got I'm not a golfer myself, but uh, <laughs> it's it sounds like a lot of fun. They've got uh, a party hole, um, a happy Gilmore hole. They've got a long distance hole with Mark Brakey on it. I think Gaze yeah. is on the the party hole. Uh, so there's lots of fun prizes and fun little things going on. Um, yeah, so we've got, you know, lots of giveaways and, and things like that. And um, so a lot, a lot of people are coming for the golf and the luncheon. Some people yeah. are just coming for the golf. Some are coming for just the luncheon. So, you know, there's something for everybody in it. And, um, you know, the Wadsy Charity got involved. Uh, the Missing Link, Chris Feeney got involved in it. Yeah. Um, Mickey D and his uh, social golf, uh, also I could remember, I, just can't remember the name of his company, but but yeah, he's involved. So there's a lot of um, people putting in their time uh, for it, and uh, it's going to be a huge day. So we're just praying for good weather. Tell me about uh, the Ray Gordon incident. Oh well, that's <laughs> that's probably what I'm most not famous for, or in, you know, 
uh, infamy. Um, but yeah, he and I have always been connected because um, in the nineties, because we were both successful teams and we, you know, like I said, in 92, we beat the Tigers in the championship. 93, they beat us in the semifinals and went on to win it in 93. And then mm-hmm. 96, we played them again. And so we had this rivalry with uh, the Tigers and um, yeah, there wasn't, uh, they were kind of like the family club and we were like the men in black. We were sort of, you know, um, you know, different persona. So, um, and, and Ray and I had our little thing going and uh, I guess it came to a head in the preseason game when he, uh, he knocked me out, basically, and uh, was suspended for three months. Uh, there was an all-in, not an all-in brawl, but everyone came onto the court and Brian Gorgian was fined for coming on the court and players and I was suspended. I was not suspended. I was reported, but I got off. But uh, Ray Gordon got, uh, he was suspended for three months. So that just ignited, that just made the uh, the rivalry between the Magic and the Tigers um, even bigger because of that, yeah. that rivalry. And then... Uh, in 96, in game one of the grand final, uh, I actually got him back by, by with my elbow, put it through his nose and stuff. Oh. So, And the commentators were, were onto it straight away and they uh, they knew the significance of it and they knew the fact that we, we were always battling. So, um, uh, yeah, so, so the, a lot of the uh, rivalry between the two teams was manufactured. Um, you know, as far as like, there, I think there was a respect between the teams, but we used to make out in the press and things that, you know, we hated each other and stuff. But I can, <laughs> I can tell you now that Ray Gordon and myself truly did hate each other. That was real. Um, <laughs> uh, that was definitely real. But uh, a lot of the other stuff, you know, the rivalry that was going on was, was um, I wouldn't say manufactured, but it was dressed up a little bit. A little bit of mayo was added to it, um, which worked well because we used to, you know, pack out the venue. Whenever we played the Tigers, we'd, we'd pack out the venue. So, um, but now we we forward on many years down the track and Ray Gordon and I have, uh, I guess, made up, if you like. And uh, he's actually, um, to my surprise, I mean, not, you know, um, he, he's actually been a very big contributor to this golf day. And yeah. uh, he's thrown in a lot of money, um, you know, to, to help make it run and everything. So, um yeah, I'm very grateful to I can I can call Ray Gordon a friend now. And I think that's the beauty of sport. You can battle with someone in your career when you're a bit younger. And then when you get older and you retire, you realize that um I've probably got more in common with Ray Gordon than probably ninety-nine point nine percent of the population. You know, we played yeah. basketball in Melbourne in the NBL at a certain period of time and you know, we've got mutual friends. And I think, you know, when you've got mutual friends with someone that you might not like so much. You know, that, that wears off after a while. And, and you know, we obviously, um, we made up and we've still got a lot of mutual friends and we're actually friends ourselves now. So mm-hmm. I think, um, yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good lesson for, for anyone out there is I think, you know, when it's your time to compete, you know, you compete and you do your thing. Um, but then when you retire and you get a bit older and uh, a bit wiser, you sort of realise, you know, how important, you um, people are in your life, even people that you might not have uh, liked too much. So what are you doing uh, these days after basketball? Well, I've got a business going, a, a vending machine business, um, which was, uh, yeah, sort of took a back seat for a while because my health was sort of the concern for uh, what has been sort of for the last year and a half. Um, and then the pandemic hit. So the business isn't doing that great, Max, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, but yeah, I'm just sort of, 
focusing on my my health at the moment. And as I said, I've got lots of people sort of helping me. Um, I haven't had to sell my house or or sell my car or anything mm-hmm. um, because I've got um, some people sort of chipping in and helping out. So I'm eternally grateful for, you know, the Wadsy charity and for um, a lot of my ex-teammates and my ex-adversaries and just a lot of people in basketball that have sort of helped me out. So it's... Um, yeah, I've been I've been lucky to be able to focus on my health, and I think that's gone a long way in, in me getting sort of some some positive results uh, that I have had. It's it's been a roller coaster. I've had some bad bad times and some good times. Um, so yeah, as long as I'm around, still breathing, able to talk to you, then you know yeah. we're um, I, I've I've got to be grateful. You said uh, you mentioned Warwick Gideon in the podcast earlier. Um, playing for the Melbourne Tigers, his son, um, 18, 19 year old Josh Giddy. Um, Adelaide 36ers, um, you know, playing games and he's just been named in the Boomers squad. What's it like to um, sort of know Warwick and verse Warwick and now um, see Josh go to work? Oh, it's great. I mean, um, yeah, you see that a lot with uh, a lot of the players. You know, I played against Cecil Exum and Dante's, mm-hmm. you know, played against Dave Simmons and Ben Simmons is doing great things. Um, yeah, there's lots of Bruce Bolden, Jonah, uh, Bruce Bolden's son, Jonah, is doing some great things. Um, I mean, you look at Shane Hill's daughter, Shyla, and what, what she's doing in the WNBL, and she's soon to be drafted. And then you've got, yeah, you've got Josh Giddy, who I'm um, personally friends with him. Well, I'm friends with his his dad. And uh, and um, Josh actually um, used to play in our A-grade team when he was 14 or 15. We had to wow. get special, we had to get special permission for him to play <laughs> for us. Um, and so I tell Josh all the time that just tell everybody that, you know, I taught you everything in you and you learned everything from me, which of course is not true. But, um, but even then <laughs> as a 14, as a 14, 15 year old, you, you could see like, this is yeah. four, four years ago, um, four or five years ago. Yeah. You, you could see that he had something special. He's just got that, um, that knack. He plays a lot different than his father. His father was a, yeah. a great player and, um, uh, maybe not as highly skilled as Josh, uh, <laughs> but his his desire and um, as a rebounder, as a passer, as a scrapper, um, just a smart player. Um, that that's his dad. But then when you look at Josh, Josh has has got all that as well as uh, you know being able to handle the ball, being a great playmaker, um, and he can shoot. Uh, he hasn't showed that yet in in the first six games he's played. Well, he's played five, I think. He was he missed yeah. one with a concussion. But um, yeah, in his first five games, he's he, yeah that shot's starting to that'll that'll get there. So I think he's definitely going to go first round draft pick this year for sure. Um, I mean, the, the kid's six foot eight. I mean, his his dad played a his dad played like a a, a forward spot, and his dad's probably six five six six, but he yeah. he played a lot taller. But then you got Josh, who's sort of playing like a point guard, and he's um he's like six eight six nine. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of Josh Giddy. Um, I was wrapped for him that he made the Australian squad because uh, I think that's that's a that's a big goal of his as well as making the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, I get great pleasure out of seeing Josh, and um, yeah, and I'm so happy for him and and his family and all the whole Giddy family. To be honest, uh, what was it like for you to um, play for the Southeast Melbourne Magic and then now see? Um, the Phoenix, Southeast Melbourne Phoenix sort of evolve and pick up guys like Mitch Creek and then Adam Gibson and Kyle Adnam. Yeah, no, I, I do. It's, it's, um, 
yeah, they, they kind of haven't identified as sort of Southeast melt. It's so they're not. So yeah, I still, um, I, I kind of, I've kind of got a foot in both camps. I kind of support United and, uh, yeah. and the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix because United initially, when they first came on board, they, they kind of embraced, you know, all the teams, the Tigers, the Giants, you know, the Magic, the Saints, the Spectre, yeah. you know, they kind of yeah. embraced it all. Um, uh, plus a good mate of mine's a, a, a part owner in the, in the club as well. So I've sort of got ties to United and, and I think United every now and then, or they have in the past, they've brought out the retro uniforms. And I think they've worn yep. the magic. Yeah. So that kind of got me going towards United, but then when Southeast Melbourne Phoenix came on board and um, yeah, Tommy Greer took over that and, you know, that was, uh, I think they had Ian Stacker as an assistant coach there for a little while. Um, and some of the players, you know, I love, I love watching Mitch Creek and, and Adnam and, and those guys and Gibbo. I love st- still seeing Gibbo running around. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, so I, I, I kind of, yeah, I do identify with the team, but they, they kind of haven't taken on, you know, the magic's sort of been lost a little bit, which, yeah. you know, that's just, yeah, worse things have happened in our lives yeah. than, than that. But, uh, uh, but I'm always going to be a basketball fan. I've always followed the NBL. Um, when it first started, I was about your age, 12 or 13, 13 I was, your age. I think you're 13, Max, aren't you? Yep, yep. 14, were you, almost. Were you, yeah, well, you're wise beyond your years, but yeah. Yep. <laughs> you're, much, you're a lot wiser than I was at that age. But I do remember following the NBL, and um, and then I, I got to play in it from 89 to about 99. So, uh, and I, But I've still been a fan ever since I've retired. So, you know, and it's great having Brian back in the league. So I've got a bit of a soft spot for the Hawks. Yeah. Uh, I've got a bit of a soft spot for the Cairns Taipans because Mike Kelly, who yep. was uh, the MVP of our championship series in 96. Uh, so I've got a championship ring uh, that Mike had a lot to do with. So I've got a bit of a soft spot for the Taipans and I love the way Mirko uh, plays up there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, can't, I love him as well. Uh, so I like the 36ers because of Josh Giddy. I like <laughs> The Hawks because of Brian Gorgian. I like the Phoenix because they're Southeast Melbourne. I like, yeah, so I, um, yeah, I kind of, uh, I guess the beauty of, of not having the team I played in, you know, still playing in the league, I guess, as as the Southeast Melbourne Magic, I guess I can afford to mm-hmm. have a foot in different, uh, yeah. in different camps. And, uh, and I truly am a fan of, of the game, um, especially the NBL game. So I, um, I've seen a lot of, um, you know, when I retired, I got to see a lot of guys finish off their careers that were a lot younger than me. And uh, now I'm so old that I'm seeing uh, sons of the players that I, yeah. like Josh Giddy come through. Yeah. So the NBL for me keeps delivering um, and keeps me excited. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just a big fan of the NBL. And, and, I, and I was one guy that when I was getting paid to play, I actually truly would have still played if they didn't give me a cent. <laughs> um, I still would have played. I loved playing at Melbourne Arena or it was Rob Laver Arena. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved playing in front of all those people. I, I didn't care if we were playing out in the country at Horsham or I didn't care where it was. I just loved playing basketball. I loved being around successful people and, and driven people like Brian Gorgian and all my ex-teammates. And I just didn't, I loved the competition. Um, and I, I do feel blessed that I got to play in the 90s when basketball was really at its peak. Um I guess you, uh, I guess you can't remember what it was like in the nineties, um, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm sure you've done your research though. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, that was when Michael Jordan, the NBA, was really starting to, you know, basketball was starting to become cool, and mm-hmm. the crowds that we had at games and everything. Um, the NBL hasn't quite got to that level yet, but I think it will. 
and it'll go on further. And I think it'll be even bigger um, and, 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 and more supported than it was in the 90s. And I think it's definitely going to get there. Uh, we've got some great players and coaches and administrators going around at the moment. So uh, I'm hoping to, uh, yeah, that's part of the reason I want to stick around, Max. I want to stick around and keep following the NBL. I've, I've been following it since day one and uh, I'll be following it until my last days, that's for sure. What would be your best advice to anyone attempting to make their way uh, into the NBL and have a successful career like yourself? I'd say to um, to, be, to be yourself and to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that's, um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that's just simplified. I think that would be the way, yeah, just to, to be yourself. Uh, don't try and be someone else. Yeah, to, just to be yourself, be natural, but also believe in yourself. And I think... Um, uh, generally, yeah, if you start with a belief in yourself, then um, that's a bit contagious. And then, you know, uh, you know, if you find other people that believe in you, that's great. If you don't, well, that can be great too. So, you know, you can use things as motivation. As I said, uh, probably the, one of the best things that ever happened to me was getting sacked. Um, getting sacked by Barry Barnes at the end of my uh, two years at Geelong, um, which then catapulted me, you know, to... Um, when I had another opportunity to grab it with two hands. And a lot of people aren't as lucky as me and might not have got a second opportunity. So yeah, to get that second opportunity and grab it with both hands, um, yeah, was was something that I'm proud of doing, but, but that was basically because I, I, I was just, I was being myself, uh, but I, I also believed in myself. And I think, yeah, those two things uh, for any athlete, I think, um, yeah, I think that's, uh, and I mean, the, the obvious ones like working hard and all that stuff, but I mean, um, yeah, if uh, yeah, if you're if you're going to be yourself and you're going to believe in yourself, then yeah, you, you need to have that belief to um, to be able to get through all those times and the hard trainings and the mm-hmm. the long hours and you know the, the the down days and the up days and you know you just you stick with it and never give up and um, you know good things can happen. But yeah, I think those two are the major things: just to be yourself and to believe in yourself. Thanks, Andrew, for coming on the podcast today. I'm- it's been a privilege and I'm st- I was stoked to uh, get you on the podcast and for you to share your life story. No problem at all, Max, anytime. And you're doing great work. And I was uh, yeah, flattered that you, uh, that you asked me. No worries, Andrew. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max. Thanks for listening to Sporting Max. If you liked this episode, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes and follow and subscribe to our channel on Instagram and YouTube. This episode was brought to you by The Missing Link.